everybody, and welcome to the Live Strong podcast and show. My name is Olivia Hutcherson, and today I am very excited to welcome my dear sister and friend, Miss Erin Fairman. Hi, Erin. Hey, how are you? I'm so good, girl. I'm excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Good now. <laughs> happy to see you. I'm happy to see you too. Um, just a little brief intro on Erin, everybody. We met three years ago, um, back when I was rolling around in the streets of Harlem. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had been called over to come and teach and volunteer with a nonprofit called KR3Ts, which stands for Keep Rising to the Top. And um, I remember heading over there and I was like looking around to see where these dance classes were going to be. I was looking for like your typical studio and there was nothing typical about this place. Um, I jumped off the train and I made my way down the stairs and there were like these, I don't even know what, what you would call them. They weren't studios. They were like tightly packed rooms with no mirrors and loud music and kids everywhere and I spotted Erin right away with her big afro and her bright smile and she just screams to me hey diva <laughs> and um you were working on like organizing the music and helping the kids and that was my first experience meeting you and little did I know you were going to wind up dancing in my samba piece and later on my river piece and we had so much more in common than we did um, than we did have differences. I later on found out that you were also a breast cancer survivor. And um, I just remember standing backstage for our first performance and we were holding hands and we were looking up on the screen and um, I couldn't even look at you because I had so many tears rolling down my face and you just squeezed my hand and we took that that stage together and I, I wrote these three little notes on my on my paper for today and I said dance pray and slay because that's that's who you are to me mama that's that's literally who you are to me and um, it was just really important for me to do this interview with you today because I feel like you are a survivor, you are a thriver, you are an activist, you are a global ambassador for change, for love, for women, for black women, and just for change makers. So without further ado, <laughs> welcome Erin. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to for you. <laughs> I'm about myself right now. <laughs> about yourself. You left quite the impression on me and three years later, we're here. Um, so welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. It. Yeah. So how are you? How are you doing these days? I'm, I'm doing well, like, you know, managing as best we can. Um, you and I, you were extremely helpful and we uh, made masks together and you were influential in helping me get that out to people that needed it. So for some of the people marching, I just feel like whenever there's any kind of chaos, like how can you be beneficial? So that's one of the things that I got to work on that's kind of helped me through this. So yeah, kind of coping, like let's find something positive and make a change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what have you been doing during this time of quarantine and during this time of pandemic to to keep yourself together. I mean, I know you said making masks, but is there anything else that you've been doing? Um, I'm, I'm working on a new company now that's actually launching tomorrow. So um, it's called Global Soul 3TG and the 3TG is for three-tiered giving. So what I wanted to do is just create a platform for cancer survivors and um, caregivers as well, because I feel like a lot of times people forget about the caregivers. So I wanted a space where there's a lot of helpful information, a one-stop shop, like helpful tips, um, you know, good products to use, just a little bit of a guideline for that. So that's been my main focus, and I'm excited to kind of share that with everyone. So yeah. I hope you find it helpful. 
Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, what your journey was like uh, with your cancer diagnosis, like when you were diagnosed and, and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, I was diagnosed in May 2016. So I kind of went on to a random, I was getting all of my uh, checkups done in May. Mm -hmm. And um, actually my OBGYN was like, Erin, when was your last mammogram? And I'm like, you know what? I don't really remember. I think I'd skipped a couple years. So I went and little did I know, they found lumps and that quickly turned into um, a mastectomy. So it went from, found some lumps, they did more testing. And then they were like, okay, you have a low grade cancer, but it was spreading fairly quickly. And so a couple months later I had a mastectomy. And um, so that was my cancer journey. But I found along the way, there was a lot of information I didn't know or some of the best information I got was from friends. Mm -hmm. So present day, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to aggregate all of that information and provide it for other people. But it was very quick. Like I got tested and then it just was a quick downslope. Like on a Friday, they saw three lumps and then by Monday I had five. So they were like, we have to do the surgery. We have to get this out. So it was, it was very quick for me. I did, it wasn't over months. They didn't have time to do radiation or chemo. So my journey, it was quick. They were like, we got to take care of this. I was like, take, go ahead, <laughs> take it out. You know? what, do you, um, what do you feel like was the biggest uh, thing that helped support you? through your entire process? You know what really helped me honestly was my own mindset. Like in, for the most part, I'm very positive. Like I, this is gonna sound so strange, but I was cracking myself up the whole way. Like when I would go, I was a little bit in denial. And I think part of it, like looking back, I think part of it was shock and a little bit of disbelief. You know, my family doesn't live here. So I was kind of going through it by myself. But when, um, like when I was having all those biopsies done, you know, there were all these like big needles and cutting and all these things you're going through. And I would kind of just be joking around with like the, the nurses and the people helping. I was like, I really need to have this done right now. Like you don't can you put some of those tools back, you know, but a lot of it was like, you have to kind of make light, cooperate, get your mindset correct. Like just get in that space of like, you know what, kind of trust the process. And for me, that was the most helpful. So um, I think mindset is a big part of it. And also, a lot of people don't do this, but I shared the experience as I was going through it because I wanted to take the focus off of me and just kind of make it an approachable topic. And I think by not like focusing on myself, but being like, this could be a tool for other people, it helped me kind of distract and get out of my own head. And then, um, and then when you also when you share, you find out people want to help. So if you take all this on by yourself, that's a lot to take on. But, you know, your friends want to bring you, like, healthy treats or they'll think of something that you didn't anticipate. One of my friends, Eric, um, brought over, like, paper, you know, paper plates. And I was like, how does he know that? I, I, didn't, I didn't, it was too hard to wash dishes. He didn't know that. But so little things. But you need, a, like, a tribe and a group around you. Right. So I would just suggest to other people, if you feel comfortable, mm -hmm. tell someone because you'll find a lot of people want to help. So I think getting out of my own head and being transparent was a big, that was one, something that really helped my, my journey, my process. That's huge. I said, you know, I said this in um, one, of my, one of my podcasts a couple months ago when we actually all first found out about COVID. Um, I did one of the episodes and it was called Sanctuary or Cemetery. And one of my top 10 tips um, was taking the focus off of yourself. And I actually quoted um, one of the messages that I heard from uh, Stephen Furtick, and he talked about the word anxiety and how the center letter in anxiety is I. And he, yeah. said, and he said, if you cut out the other letters and you see I, he said, anytime you're feeling anxiety, it's because you're focusing too much on yourself. And yeah. he said, if you'll just shift out and actually look at someone else or, you know, focus on someone else and exactly what you just said, you know, share with someone else. And sometimes it's not even sharing or giving things. Sometimes it's just sharing your story, sharing your experience, sharing your pain. You'll yeah. be really pleasantly surprised to see how much people respond or react to what you're going through. I agree with you. 
yes. Huge. I also, also, I mean, I'm small, so I'm like, oh, I'd probably feel a lump, but I have dense tissue. So the thing is, a lot of misconceptions that I had, I didn't want someone else with those same misconceptions have make the mistake I did. So I was like, ladies, ask me a question. <laughs> Go get checked. Get those girls checked, you know what I mean? And let's, like, focus on your health. Right. So, um, so that's, that was my way around it. That's how I dealt with it. Let me ask you this, and we're kind of shifting gears. Um, do you feel like um, the mental and the physical and the emotional discipline that you learned from going through that process has served you um, through the pandemics that we're going through now? And I use the word pandemics, plural, because we're really experiencing two pandemics right now. We're experiencing the corona pandemic, and we're also experiencing a social and a racial pandemic right now. Do you feel like that, that type of mental discipline where you had to almost force yourself into like learning how to protect your spirit and protect your heart and, and almost push out like, okay, I'm going to choose to be positive. I'm going to choose to turn a negative into a positive and I'm going to choose to still love people anyway, still create resources anyway. Do you feel like that served you? For a hundred percent. Yes. Because one thing that you learn, especially after cancer okay. is um, all of your priorities change. Mm -hmm. All of it. Like little things don't matter anymore. You're like, that could have gone south. I'm glad it was caught when it was. So what I tend to do is like, I stay away from anything that really brings me like stress or trauma or it, I, so I stay out of negative spaces, negative head spaces. So when this all happened, um, especially with all the, the racism that we've all been dealing with, I feel like the only way that I can make, again, this makes sense is to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know what? We have to move forward with, forward with this. And a lot of people, there's a, a swell of enthusiasm that I've not seen before in 50 years, you know? So I'm like, when people are trying to reach out, a part of you, get into it, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Everyone, take that right. in. Take a moment, so. <laughs> Black don't crack. <laughs> not today. She just said 50. In the 50 years. Yes. Let's roll back in case you missed the beginning. I did say two pieces with me. <laughs> there sexy mama pieces. <laughs> Those are up on YouTube and my website. Check it out. I'll leave the link. At the ah! <laughs> I'm saying, you gotta keep you youthful in the spirit. Okay. Back, back to the story. That was a parenthesis brief. I was like, boop. <laughs> boop. Boop. <laughs> Probably the editor. I heart you. <laughs> okay. But. The skincare game after. So yeah, right? It's so cute. Turkish bags. <laughs> I'm sorry, I needed a moment of levity. <laughs> I get it. Listen, that's the point. You know what I mean? It's like seriously, like look at us. <laughs> <laughs> like who would think we have anything in common like no shade you know what I'm saying but like we went on a journey that's very specific but that bonds us so I just feel like experiences help bond people you know so the thing is I don't I just don't like to be in an angry headspace one it's not good especially if you have cancer you can't you can't mess with that you can't be in a stressful situation that could be toxic to, that's just toxic in general and it could really affect your health right and because we are in a pandemic, you and I are high risk already. On top of that, I'm black. <laughs> On top of that, asthma. So I was like, I can't mess around. So what I try to do is I'm trying to live safely and I don't want people to be angry. So if someone has a question for me, I am happy to talk about it. Like you need to talk about racism and it, I feel like everything needs to be approachable. It's just like grieving. You can be angry and sad and want to lash out, but at the same time, a part of the grieving, you know, after that, we got to kind of get to a resolution. So I was like, again, same with cancer. I was like, I want it to be teachable. I want someone to learn something from this. I want to be productive. I just don't have the time or the space for like a negative, like super angry moment. I do have those moments and I talk to my parents about it 
and um, I talk that out. I talk with close friends, but as a, in general, like, let's just, let's try to figure this out together. You know what I mean? It's the only way we're going to kind of all resolve because, you know, there's groups of people that have had access that we haven't had before. So let's learn from them and then let's share what we were lacking, what we didn't receive. So Mm -hmm. on both sides, you know, racism is set up so that the other side doesn't know what's actually going on. So some people are like, y'all didn't hear about Rodney King or Emmett Till. Like, you don't see that this happens to us on a regular basis, but it's not been something tangible where they've been like, oh, I didn't realize it was that bad. And I'm like, but we've been telling you about microaggressions. <laughs> so, you know, so we, we got to, we have to share that information. When you say people have had or had access that we haven't had before, explain that to me a little bit or to people who don't understand sure. that. Cause that's a really, yeah. Financial opportunities, educational ed- opportunities. So, you know, I mean, my name's Aaron. I can get an interview. Do you know what I mean? Aaron Fairman, like people are like, oh, she must be white. And I've gone into interviews where someone thought I was white and they cut the interview short. So the thing is, I'm like, your name shouldn't dictate if you even get the job interview. Right. Not even get the job. Get the job interview because you're not Markeisha Johnson. You know what I'm saying? Like that doesn't affect. And she could have a stellar, you know, her resume could speak volumes and she can go to Ivy League schools. Or even if you get to an Ivy League school, do you really still have the opportunities that the white students do? Are you going to lunch with the dean? You're probably not. It probably didn't occur to you because you're still excluded from an opportunity, even though you've made it to an Ivy League school. So there's a, there's a lot of things. Like I, I tell my family this all the time. Wherever I go, I'm, people assume I'm the help. So they think I work at Target, or work at Whole Foods, or Starbucks, or at the bank, like, so the thing is, when someone only views you as the help, and not as um, someone who, you know, I I, I could have my own business, or I'm just a human, and there's also nothing wrong with the people that do work there, that's, they have a, that's a legal job, they're essential workers, so then you get to that, and you're like, well, those essential workers, that are risking their lives to keep us, the delivery guys, like all the people that we now are relying on, right. can we pay them more? You know, this, and then you're looking at like homelessness and prison and, you know, so the incarceration difference. So there's all these opportunities that one group seems to be able to have access to and out and others are just, you know, well, we're gonna just assume that you're a criminal and you're in this position. And so you're not gonna get a second chance. You're not going to get a first chance, you know? So it's like, we, we have to, we have to even out that, that playing field right there, but it only helps if you could talk to each other and explain all yeah. of that, those experiences. That's good. Yeah. One thing that I love about you and appreciate about you so much is that I really, really, from the second I met you, I see and I feel in my heart that you are equally left brain as you are right. Like you are, hands down one of the most creative and one of the most logical women that I've ever met. Like you, I would give you like an equal score on both sides, your ability to see things from a a creative and artistic uh, side and also to express yourself and articulate and be logical. Um, Just real quick, Give people a little uh, glimpse into what does a day in your life look like? What do you do right now for a living? And what are some of the ways that you have been providing people resources? I know you talked about your launch for your company, and that's just what you do in your free time, by the way. Right. But what is your actual job, and what are some of the things that you do, um, you know, just for yeah. right now? No problem. So I actually work full time at a private equity firm. I'm an executive assistant and um, I love my job and they are wonderful. And um, they're, they're just a great company and they wanted to help with like this whole Black Lives Matter movement. And they want to offer, you know, like here's some educational resources, here are places we can donate. So what I did is I followed up with them and I was like, well, since we're a financial firm, can we talk about financial education for underserved communities? So that's something that we're kind of looking at as well. So the thing is, for me personally, anytime there's an opportunity with any group, I'm like, let's get ready, let's change the world. Like, that's my attitude. I'm like, that's cute, that's a cute start, but let's do more. 
you know? So I worked full time there, but I've taken this past week off to get ready for the launch. So with the launch, um, what I've done is, you know, I've done stuff like, you know, you can go to cancercare.org. They have great financial assistance for people going through cancer, especially if you're low income. And I had some other kind of resources there. So I kind of gathered all of those together that I want to share with people. And then for me personally, one of the things that I've done is like, this is just what I like to do, but especially in a pandemic, I spend my own money. So when I get paid, I also like to support other women business owners. So there's another uh, fair trade shop. My business mentor, Wendy Farmery, Silk Road Market, incredible. She is the one that got me in, that I even know about fair trade. And she helped me set up my business model. So um, I like to just buy a gift certificate. Whether I'm going to redeem it or not, doesn't matter. I want her company to thrive and be successful. She's doing something great for the world. And I want to support a woman business. Or if um, one of, another friend of mine, She's a great makeup artist. She's also a cancer survivor. So, you know, I just sometimes send stuff over there because I want her business to thrive in a pandemic. So a lot of times what I'm trying to do, or, you know, at World Kitchen, stuff like that. So if I have extra, and at this point, extra just means if you are employed, because so many people are not, I just feel like it's an ethical and moral responsibility to support people not in that same position. So for me on a regular basis, financially, if I can help, or if I can help like someone tweak their resume or whatever it is, that's what I'm trying to do. So for the most part, you know, or I, I have a lot of conversations with people about racism, or they'll say, you know what, this, my company sent this kind of mandate, this is what they said, and I was like, so counter it. But also when you, you can't just say, well, we need to do more. I feel like you need to offer a solution first. Right. So like with my company, I offered a solution. I was like, we could do this, you know, if we're not using the transit funds, could we put that into something else for the community? So the thing is, I think it's important also not to be like, you should do it different and not have a, an idea of what to do yourself. Right. So those are the kind of things that I like to do. I, that also kind of like works my creative mind because I was like, oh yeah, well, who said what now? Let's go. Like, can we, let's, let's attack it point to point. And I don't mean attacking in a like, Right. Dismantling way, but I was like an educational one. I'm like, you said what? Challenge. Okay. So then it's like, let's make it better. You've also helped me edit my blogs. You, you know, yeah. help me with my writing. You've talked <laughs> music industry work and yeah. dancing. You are very well-rounded. The reason I bring it up is because, you know, I, I love to listen to interviews and sermons and podcasts. I'm, I'm a student of life. And, um, Yes, girl. Always sending you stuff on the weekends, bugging you. But uh, one of the recent um, messages that I listened to was from Dr. Anita Phillips. And in addition to being a minister, she's also a psychology major. And she dropped a piece of information on me recently that just like blew my mind. And, and you were one of the first people who actually came into my mind when she said it. She said one of the most amazing things about African-Americans is that they're often misjudged for being, you know, um, sometimes like loud and, you know, out of control. Right. But she said they are some of the people who test high on both sides of being intellectual and creative. Whereas like a white person, for example, would test high on one side or the other. Right. You know? And African-Americans will test high on both sides. And I was like, yo, that makes much sense and she said and they can sometimes get you know confused for like being like angry or like aggressive or you know right. all I can picture is like Aaron being like <laughs> I was like let's go uh, 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 uh. Like, <laughs> yes and I was like I'm laughing to myself but I'm like you are one of the most brilliant minds that I know and even when all this stuff started happening with Black Lives Matter you know, I called you up on the phone. I was upset. I was crying to the point where I had to take a step back because okay. I, I still remember the conversation I had with you. I said, it's not fair for me to ask you to hold my water bucket while you're carrying an ocean, you know? Um, and I just, I remember taking a step back, but I come to you so often because I revere you as such a brilliant mind and as such a such a big heart because you're both you're both and I see you out here 
with your hands open and your feet on the move. And, you know, on, on my website, I have a portion where it is like community service and resources because it's not enough to just do things while things are trending. And it's not enough to just have a hashtag. It's like resources, you know, resources, education, empowerment. That's why I even have these conversations. You know, it's like, you could have a hundred people or a thousand people or a million people liking it. But if you have the one who's doing something, I'd rather have one doer than a thousand likers. Yeah. You know, and so you're the one that I look to when I go to for my information, because I know that you're on the move, you're moving, you know, and it's like, you, you talked about headspace in the beginning, and it's like our head changes our heart, changes our feet. And so I kind of, I just want you to know, like, I always look to you for my resources. So I, I copied and pasted your resource page, and it's up on my website now. Let's go! <laughs> I know! You know, it's one of those things, too, like, when this all started, I just felt like it was such an immediate call to action, because I was, you know, we're in a TikTok society, and people are going to forget about this, like, oh, racism's good, we're done. And I'm like, no, systemic racism is 400 years in the making. So you and I probably won't even see that evolve to where it actually needs to be, you know? So I feel like this is an ongoing race. And I've actually um, been working on, I'm very, like, diligent about all my posts. I want to make sure that I have clear examples. I want to make sure that I can offer a solution if someone's like, oh, I'm not sure how to approach this. How do I talk about it with my family? Right. If someone doesn't believe that they're a racist, how can I kind of break down systemic racism? So I try to really look at it from all sides. And I also need to be mindful that I'm representing my race well. And, um, you know, because especially that, you know, the adage of like the angry black woman, I'm like, honey, like we're all mad, but I was like, we're really, I think this is the first time that people are actually seeing like why there is so much like built up rage because, you know, we, we feel discredited going to the doctors. We just don't feel hurt or they, you know, they think like, oh, they actually have a higher threshold for pain. So maybe don't take it seriously. There's so many different things that go on. You know, I went to go see a doctor and I'm, you know, in like an Ann Taylor suit. And she just looked at me. I was, had to get blood work done. And the nurse just looked at me and was like, oh, drugs. And I was like, what? And just assume I was there for drug testing. (laughs) And I was like, I cannot even I can't even go, I couldn't even, again, I couldn't let my mind go to that space. And then I was like, you know, you just need to make sure that you can take blood from the right arm. She's like, oh, is that your good arm? And I'm like, no, I had a mastectomy and you can't take it from here. And she's like, well, I can't find the vein. So it's all these things that you know that another person in that same situation wouldn't have that kind of treatment. So it's a lot of like balancing like, how, how am I going to react to this situation? Do I deal with it later? I didn't want to, I, I still am unsure how I should have reacted to that because I don't want to ever go to a negative place. I wanted to start a business that's about positivity. And I was like, what you put out in the world <laughs> comes back. So, you know what I mean? So like take it as a teaching tool, learning tool, move on, discuss it, use it as an example. So, but a lot of it is like, we have to stay in a good headspace. And I, I definitely burnt myself out. You know, in the beginning, I, was, I wasn't sleeping. My eating was off because I was like, we have to change the world today. And I'm like, you have to calm down. <laughs> you, have to let, you have to pass that baton and let the three and four people behind you carry it because it's too heavy, you know? So again, team effort and other people have to kind of carry that. You can start the wave and then you have to move on and get into self-care mode. What would you say to white people who genuinely want to help? Um, I would say start at home, start in your community, start at your job. So, um, and also try to figure out the best solution to offer your job or your community. So um, one of the things that happened with a friend of mine, you know, they had personal days. So each person got like two personal days for the year. If you're a white employee, what you could always do is offer to maybe give your two days to a black employee who maybe needs like more time off just to kind of process everything that's going on. If your company makes a statement like how, you know, do you have any suggestions on what we could do to make this better? If you're in marketing, could you talk about maybe having more diversity on a team with black representation? So can we have a different storyline? Can we have people more in the writer room? 
how can we talk about more stories? You know, you might hear about Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass but can we talk about other influencers in the black community that hasn't been told? Stuff like that. Or, um, yeah, so just try to, or if you're in finance and you're like, um, I don't know, uh, if you notice, the, especially in places of like board committees, is there black representation? Right. So what is that? They, they need to be in key positions. It's not enough, like you can't, don't hire three more black assistants, hire people in a principal role, in a director role, in a producer role. They need to be in higher positions to make a bigger impact and influence on the company because we're coming from a different perspective and it just helps everybody win. So I think stuff like that is crucial, especially in boardrooms because people need to see, we need to be invited to the table. So how does that run? What are the requirements to get to the board table? Is it, uh, do you need to be financially wealthy? You know, so who are you accessing? Can you reach out to maybe a black owned hedge fund like Advent Capital Management? or have a contact like Dick Parsons. So get someone in whatever industry it is and let's get the focus, get black people in key positions because you need another perspective and that's how the whole dialogue is gonna change because what's happening is they're like, black people fit this one stereotype. Right. We're just as multifaceted as everybody else. You know what was interesting is when I do my emails for my company, one of the hardest things to find is black imagery Period. So if I put in like an iStock photo, um, black cancer survivor, cancer caregiver, it's a white person <laughs> and a black nurse. Wow. So I was like, lies! You know what I'm saying? So stuff like that. Or if they have a black cancer pers person represented, the head tie isn't right. I'm like, you can look at it and see there was no black person on set. Wow. That's not how you wear the head ties. So there's a lot of misrepresentation even if you put in a search for like black person doing x white people come up we just don't have enough representation across the board so if you anyone at iStock please like we shouldn't have to develop you know diversityphotos.com to get the representation that should be mainstream in a google search yeah. stuff like that so it's like whatever your platform is there is we know already that there's a lack of diversification so get people in those roles that would be the biggest thing i would say that's great advice we just did a um we just did a town hall meeting the last two weeks in a row at broadway dance center and um we were talking about cultural appropriation and its connection to cultural appreciation and in reference to what you're saying even something simple about the headscarf being tied right. Yes. Appropriation and appreciation. Well, part of appreciation is understanding how something is done correctly. Yes. You know, and even, even how that relates to dance, how that relates to yeah. music, how that relates to how the headscarf is done right. You know, that, that's appreciation. Appreciation, a culture, a color, you know? Yes. So I think that's great. That's you know what's so funny is I remember when I was at ADF at Duke at the American Dance Festival and I was taking, um, oh, who's the African dance teacher? Chuck, what's his name? Chuck Davis. I was taking from Chuck Davis, an African class, honey. And there was a white sister who was just flailing and he stopped the class. He was like, this is just as technical as ballet. Right. So right. you wouldn't go into ballet and wing it. Right. So you just show some respect over here. The other thing that's interesting about dance videos, which is I love to pose like blacks and whites mixed. I love to represent everybody. Right. But what's interesting is a lot of times people will be like, oh, the little white girl, she's such a great dancer. I'm like, why, is she, why are you looking at her? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you appreciating the black person <laughs> who you took this from, but the focus is on, oh, she does that well, but why isn't it enough when we do it by ourselves? So the thing is, it's all this like, again, it's like little micro, kind of microaggressions and just this, um, we have to kind of retrain how we look at everything. Right. It's kind of understand your privilege. So I'm like, if you and I did African dance, they would go to you. So you would already be appreciated because they're like, oh, look at this white girl in a black space, she's doing great. But it's never, you know, right. us just being appreciated for coming up with the dance. Right. So stuff like that. So there's so many layers. I think that people think that racism is maybe, oh, it's just these five topics. Right, right. About 500 topics. You know what I mean? It hits on every platform. Banking, clothing, um, how you eat, where you eat, 
what food is available in a low income society. Like in my neighborhood, on the Upper East Side, you can't find a Twinkie or Kool-Aid. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you're poisoning specific groups and communities and then they have like diabetes and then they go to the doctor and they're not like cared for with the same respect. So it's like all these things working against us. So it's like everything needs to change. So if you work in, um, if you work in a school system, can we just not have Black History Month and actually have real true Black history, not revisionist history, mm. but Black history. Can we talk about the Tuskegee experiment? Can we really talk about, like, we need to take ownership of what was stolen mm. and what should be appreciated. So on every, there isn't anything that, um, where people can't be of service and right. make a change. So it's on every level. So everyone should feel empowered to be able to make a difference in the community. I don't care if you're a babysitter. I don't care if you're a mechanic. I don't care if you're a doctor. I don't care if you're a teacher. I, don't, I do not care what it is. You can make a change. So I just feel like take that responsibility, look at it like, okay, would Aaron have the same opportunity in this situation that I do now? Hmm. And be like, what do you think would be different? Or ask, ask the one like me or, you know. But everyone can be like an ambassador for social justice. Right. So I think it's just crucial. We gotta keep that momentum going, you know. I could listen to you all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like two, three more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, wow, that leads me to my next one. What do what do black people need to heal? Oh man, I that's that is such a time. We need time and we need change and it needs to be immediate. It needs to be immediate. So a lot of it is like, I'm not a fan of lip service. I don't want you to be an ally. I want you to be of action. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to hear like, I'm praying for you, or I feel this, or what are you doing? Right. What are you doing? Right. I want to know that you, you approach someone. I want to know that there is action being changed because we are so tired and exhausted. And I'm like, we've always had to learn your history. We had to do extra work to find out our own history. If we had to do that, and y'all have Google, you know what I'm saying? I was like, what we really need right now, the only thing that will heal us is true allyship in action. Yeah. So I just, we really need people to like, you know, especially voter suppression. How are we gonna handle that? We need, we need people to vote for people that have our interests in mind. Right. We need people to take like our healthcare more seriously. We need more opportunities. We need to be paid more. We need to understand how businesses work and how to keep the money in the black community. Right. We need access to, you know, educational tools, you know, it's, it's so much. So any, most things, like if you and I talked about, like, say we both had three meetings today. I want to know what your experience was when you walked out the door and got home. And I'm going to compare that to my experience walking out the door and coming home. We had two drastically different experiences. Right. Solely based on race. Mm -hmm. So until we have the same experience mm -hmm. where we're viewed as equal, then we can't do anything. But if we aren't in a position of power to actually make that change, right. because that's how prejudice and racism works. One person is in power. One has person has no access to, um, to essential means to make a change. Right. So we need y'all to like take, start driving the bus, you know what I mean? Because we're tired and we can't really necessarily make a change because we're not in a position of power. So what it's going to take for us to heal is true action. Right. That's what really needs to happen. Yeah. How has your relationship with your family here um, in the United States helped um, helped your perspective with, um, I guess, with with white people and um your your outlook i guess just with the white community it's crucial it's absolutely crucial and um because i'm from ethiopia so i was adopted and brought to the states in 1970. so um you know my parents like my mom's always my hair's always been natural my mom you know went to the black community and was like what do i do with this and you know she got the afro sheen the pick with the fist and has always braided my hair. We put some beads on it. She braids better than the people on one, two, five. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? But she also, um, she used resources. Like, you know, we'd go to this um, camp every summer. There were lots of people that had adopted 
many adopted siblings. So the thing is like, it's really important to understand that. Like, you know, I only had ever a black doll. She didn't give me a white Barbie. So the thing is my family is, is so pro like, um, social justice and um, their teachers and doctors and educators across the board. And so that's been crucial. And the thing is, I've told my parents before, I was like, one of the reasons that I'm able to kind of even move in this world is that I feel like the Trojan horse that had the inside scoop. Mm. So I got to see, I got to see a totally different side. If I solely based it on my treatment, I would not feel the same way. Right. At all. And I've been very transparent with my family about that. And my family is just like, I, I wouldn't trade them for the world. We're incredibly close, but the, what makes us close is honesty. So, you know, after an election, if I'm completely traumatized, I am screaming at the top of the lungs to my mom, not at her, but just about the situation. And she listens to it and she knows we, we kind of talk that out, but she lets me be rageful. She lets me be hurt. She lets me be angry. She lets me process it and leads with love. You know what I'm saying? So my, my, my brothers and sisters like have just always, we've all, we've always talked about race. I remember when I was in elementary school, you know, one of my best friends was this guy, Brian. And I was like, Brian's great. You know, this is a white kid. And, um, my mom's like, Aaron, we love everybody you love. That's great. Outside this door in this house is a different scenario. And that just put me, it, it gave me enough to know that like, um, things, this isn't normal. Like how my, how my family is kind of is so inclusive and um, really in harmony with everybody else. That's not the norm. So it was good for me to know that. So the thing is a lot of times what I don't, what I can't stand is people like, I don't see color. I'm like, then we'll never heal. First of all, that's not true. You absolutely do see color. So that's a lie. So let's just take that conversation out um, because it's also disrespectful to me. I want you to see my color. I want you to appreciate it. My skin is cute. My hair is popping, period. Hello, you know what I'm saying? So the thing is like differences get into it. Differences are, those are important. Like I love flaws. I love differences. That's what makes everybody kind of interesting. So, um, so they've been a huge part of why I feel like a balanced individual as far as mindset. And they do a great job of like, no one in my family sugarcoats anything. Like my baby sister keeps it all the way real. Yeah. My little, my little, Honey, I love her, you know, so we, we don't sugarcoat anything on our family. She's like, you're seeing too much right now, or, you know, you could phrase this a little differently. And um, the other thing that she reminded me of recently is like, just like, I don't want a white person to underestimate me. I shouldn't underestimate white people. So I posted something, my sister called me and she like, didn't know who Sean King was. And she was like, not sure if you heard this, but if you do a Google search, this is what comes up. Right. It never occurred to me that someone who didn't know who he was would research it because we're so used to being discredited all the time and not having a voice. Mm -hmm. And she was just saying from her perspective, she's like if multiple, and like when it comes to him, I only repost facts right. that have been verified by other you know, outlets. Right. So she's like, okay, if that's the case, then pick the other outlet or, or maybe look into that because you wanna make sure that the messenger is someone who if you're doing a, a search about, it's going to be a little more relatable, a little less controversy. And that was just her perspective. She didn't say not to do it, but I was like, oh, but it shut down my own races, you know, my own prejudice, because it didn't occur to me that she'd look it up. I was like, oh, I forgot who I was dealing with. She'll look it up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the thing is, it's a great balance. And especially if I want to be a communicator about race relations, I need their opinion. Because I want to know like what I'm saying translates and I don't, I don't want it to land in a negative space mm -hmm. because it's more about education than like, you know, I don't want anything else to be distracted from the message. So my family love, like yeah. they are the best. They are the best. <laughs> I'm lucky. I know. <laughs> what would you say to someone who is on the verge of losing hope, especially a black woman? What would you say to her? I would say you got to reach out to your tribe. Like this isn't something that you can do by yourself. So reach out to like a trusted friend, reach out to your pastor, reach out to a family member, but just reach out to someone or even in this day and age, even do a post or something because people will be happy to do the research for you, but you have to get outside of your own mindset because you know what happens is we get caught up in like, 
one tunnel vision, one way of dealing with things. I had a friend recently who was, um, had a similar issue, wasn't quite sure how to get out of the mindset. I wasn't in that situation, so I could provide a totally different perspective. 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 And um, <laughs> snapped her out of it. You know what I'm saying? So the thing is, I was like, talk to somebody. Because yeah. it, it takes a village, you know, and everyone's kind of grieving. So it's like, you just need another opinion. You need another, like, a point of view. Yeah. So just you got You have to ask for help, even if you're not comfortable doing it. It's crucial. This is just a vital time, because someone might have access to a resource. Someone might have you know different opinion or something that could actually help you through this moment. That's what I would do. So good. Yeah. So good. That's awesome. Well, my love, my God, this is such an amazing, amazing interview. Um, it's kind of customary that I read a poem at the end. Ah! So I haven't really announced this yet, but I am going to announce it today since we're both kind of announcing our launches. I am releasing a second poetry book. <laughs> I don't have a date yet. I just know that it's going to be called Dear Summer. And Ooh! I want to dedicate the first poem to you. <laughs> Thank you! Yeah. So it's called Stand By You, and I'm going to do my absolute best uh, to get through it without crying. No promises, though. Um, I think what I would say to someone who's on the verge of losing hope is to tell your story. And um, so I just really appreciate you telling your story today. And, um, you know, I think just the fact that, like, you are launching your company is so incredibly exciting because you paying it forward is just the ultimate like definition of being successful. Um, so anyway, here we go. I'm avoiding my tears. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right, girl. Avoiding them. All right. So this is called stand by you. Hold on to your faith and even more to your beliefs. They say you don't need much, just the size of a mustard seed. We may never experience the shade of what's been planted deep, but we've been on the run in these 2020 streets. I've been crying while they've been dying, picking up the pieces of my heart. No justice, no peace is a reflection from the start. Turns out I'm not a racist, but could I ally for you more? God, I give you access. Let's go and explore. Search my mind, search my soul. Have the convos, drill the holes in the places hard to find so that I cross my neighbor's line. Because when you bleed, I bleed too. When you're ready to dance, I wanna dance with you. When George Floyd said, I can't breathe, you made brand new masks for the protest peeps. You even threw in care packages too. You're a survivor and a thriver, and my sister too. On this Wednesday and every day, I honor you. Only take a knee for Jesus, but I will always stand by you. <laughs> Liv! I love it, sis. I love you, my girl. I love you so much. Um, so before we go, <laughs> before we go, the last thing we're gonna do is we are gonna go through your goodie bag. <laughs> Let's do it. I want to blow up this spot, and while we're doing this, I want I want you to tell people where we can find you. Um, yeah. Tell them uh, about the website. Where can we find you? And yes. We're gonna unpack this real quick. So where can people find you, Mama? Okay. Go to www.globalsoul3tg. So it's the number three and. <laughs> T like Tom, G George, three tier giving, three TG. Check us out also at Instagram at Global Soul, three TG. And um, there's great products there for uh, cancer patients, survivors, caregivers, etc. <laughs> okay. Oh. My so we have some moisturizing lip balm. Hydrated. <laughs> so and the honey, which are. Yeah. I actually changed it. So what I did is I actually have one now that's, um, it's just honey. It's from Zambia. So those, when I do giveaways, I'll be giving those out. But the one that I actually am going to be selling has more hydration and it's like a longer lasting, um, 
moisturizing experience. Nice. And then we have this lovely, beautiful, cute mm -hmm. little soap. So the thing that's good about that, especially with cancer patients in mind, is it's unscented. So a lot of times, like after the chemo, you might have a smell sensitivity. So this is great. It's hydrating. It lathers up. And it's a it's all natural product, so you don't need anything extra. After chemo, you're like, I don't need anything else on my body that's not all natural. So that's why that was chosen. I remember my um, my palate and also my nose was really sensitive after chemo. So that's a yeah. great. Talk to us about this. What is uh? So that is um that's a deodorant. It's all natural. It only has four ingredients, and it's custom made because it has a grapefruit scent. What? which is delish and it's that's just good for most people's bodies mm -hmm. so that's a great thing again because you don't want any metals especially after breast cancer if you've had a mastectomy you don't want to put any more metals in up, up in here we don't need that we want everything to be natural right and what is yep. this gummy stuff oh so you didn't get the full one but it's shea butter so i have a mint shea butter and i have an orange so that's just good, again, for hydration. So, you know, some people put it in their scalp after chemo. I put it on my skin. It's great for the hands, all of that. So, um, and it smells wonderful. And I put this on my bag, but you can also wear it on your neck. This says Global Soul. Oh, yeah. It says Global Soul. And I just, I put this, this, the bag is from Turkey. But the thing is, you know, when you go to the hospital, I don't like what they give out. So this is great for like your toothbrush, your soap, your shea butter, all of that. And then you can have something nice and pretty because we just want to be surrounded by beautiful things. It's one of those other things that helps with the mental space, makes you feel better. So um, I wanted you to have something cute to take to the hospital or infusion center or whatever you need to do. Nice, nice. <laughs> there you have it, guys. So thank you so much for joining us. Again, my name is Olivia and this is Erin and this is our session on the Live Strong podcast for the July season. Look for her, follow her, and we will see you next month uh, for another show and another episode. Take care. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you.